All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin today. And uh, there's a handout on the back, front and back page. <clears throat> some review and then some new uh, stuff that we're going to go over today. Well, let's pray and we'll begin. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and, and we pray, Lord, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And because of your loving kindness and because of your truth, Father, we come before you this morning rejoicing in all that you have done for us in Christ and the sweet fellowship and unity we have as believers. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this body who desires to please you in all aspects of our lives. We thank you for giving us a heart when you regenerated us that desires to obey your commandments and to find ways to please you more and more each day as we pursue holiness and righteousness, and being Christ-like. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and your truth today, that you could show us how we can be a more cheerful giver, because you have told us, Lord, you love a cheerful giver. Help us, Lord, in this area. That's not always easy. In Christ's name, amen. We come this morning again to giving as an act of grace, and we're going to do some review this morning, but a lot of people had said last week, it's like, wow, you, you got to teach on giving. That's a, a tough subject. A lot of people don't want to teach on that, and that's true. Uh, there are a lot of churches that don't teach on it at all. And then some other churches, that's all they teach on. And you see unbelievers from time to time, and I've heard this several times, when people are like, oh, the church just wants your money. And, and that's true, you hear some of those things, but what it reveals in our heart and even in the heart of an unbeliever is where our money is, that's where our heart is. Why is that an issue? Why is it difficult for us to talk about giving? You don't hear people saying, all that church wants you to do is come in and sing hymns. All they want to do is hear you, sit there and listen to them preach. That's not a problem for us, is it? But when it comes to giving, sometimes it gets to be a little touchy subject. And that's why some churches don't talk about it at all. And other churches who are health, wealth, and prosperity, that's all they want. But their heart is not in the right place. So we want to understand what God has said, because God says, let each one do whatever he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. So we want to understand what God's word said, and we want to be very careful to unpack it carefully, answer your questions, because it's so helpful to be able to do this with peace and contentment and joy. It is a wonderful thing that God has given us to do. And by the way, when you think about finances and you think about money and all the different things that the Bible speaks about in there, the majority of what the Bible talks about is giving when it comes to our finances. And so it's important to us, and God wants us to know where our heart is so that we can properly give as a cheerful giver and not under compulsion or grudgingly, or have to coerce someone, or manipulate someone, or do something like that to get the money that the church needs to take care of the ministry that God has given us to do. So we're going to start out this morning, we're going to do a little review from last week, because I know some of you weren't here and you were teaching Sunday school, thank you for doing that, that's a wonderful blessing, and so then we're going to go back and we're going to start in uh, 2 Corinthians as giving, seeing giving as an act of grace. And so by way of review... We have our memory verse. Do you remember what that was without looking down? 
2 Corinthians 9, 7, right? Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that can be your home base when you think about giving. And you can begin to work through that and what Paul says and the rest of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and his beginning in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 as he talks about these things. So the preliminary truths that we talked about last time that are helpful for us going forward is God owns it all, right? We had more verses than Psalm 24, one, but there were, there were several other verses as well like that, that God owns it all. He has given it to us. We are stewards and not owners of our finances. God is the one who has entrusted certain amounts to each of us so that we can give that and further his kingdom and meet needs. Every good thing that I have have has been given to me, not truly earned by me. We looked at one passage in particular of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verses 11 through 18 as they're going in to cross the Jordan and take the land that God has promised them. He says, don't go over there and live in these houses you didn't build and everything's great and you're, you're profitable and say, oh, look what I did and forget it's God who gives you the ability and the power to make wealth because he will then judge you for that so there's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience and the fourth thing we saw was all I have been given is to be freely used to meet needs and glorify God that's what our uh, money is for the second thing we looked at is giving as an act of grace is described as an act of grace in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 some people say well why do you call it an act of grace what is that? Does the Bible really say that? Is that just something Fred made up because it makes a nice sermon? What's going on there? Well, it says that. In chapter 8, we'll see, it says it ten times. It refers to giving in the context of an act of grace and specifically says it in verses 6 and 7 and 19. If you have an ESV, it says act of grace, this act of grace that you are doing. And it tells us that God not only enables us, but motivates us through his grace to give in all kinds of ways. In the context specifically, the missionary giving to the Jerusalem church because of their needs and their persecution. And we'll see that in the background in a few minutes. And so giving, God says, is an act of grace. And we understand that through all of these passages and we'll see more of that as we go forward. It is also depicted, right, giving as an act of grace is depicted in the required tithes, or I put slash taxes, because that's what they would be like for the Old Testament believers, or Old Testament uh, Jews, is de depicted in required tithes or taxes versus free will offering throughout the Bible. And we saw that in the Old Testament, right? Old Testament had required tithes, or you might refer to them as a tax, Versus their free will offerings, right? There were a lot of different uh, tithes that we were given. We saw that there were three different tithes. And we have that in your notes down there, I believe. And then, well, I'll have those for you next time because we, we're going to give a, a sheet, a printout that has all of those things again. If you need that, uh, we've been asked to put the PDF online and stuff like that. But we found in the Old Testament there were three required tithes, right? There was a Levitical tithe, and there was a festival tithe, and then there was another tithe every three years that was for the poor and the local uh, Levites as well. So when you added up all of the tithes, plural, in the Old Testament, you really came out to about 20 to 24 percent of your income annually to be given for the government, the theocracy that God had ordained to be over the people, right? 
In the New Testament, we saw that there were required taxes and free will offerings. And so you see the free will offerings in addition to the, new t- the, uh, the taxes that we have in the New Testament, right? Let me go back. Old Testament required tithes. That was to support the government there. New Testament required taxes were used to support the government that God had ordained as Gentile government, right? So you have those things there. And I don't want to be, confuse you any more than, than it's going to be here. So if you weren't here last week. But anyway, what it comes out to is there were taxes, tithes to support the government then, the theocratic government. And there are ta- taxes, not tithes in the New Testament, to support our government that God has put over us. And there were also free roll offerings. You see free will offerings in the Old Testament to give to build the tabernacle. They gave abundantly more and they finally got to the point and said, we, we don't need any more. Stop giving. Free will above and beyond anything that they were required to give as a tithe. You saw that when they built the temple as well. And you saw that in the first fruits. It's just give whatever you purposed in your heart because God loves a cheerful giver. And as they came together with their offerings, they were rejoicing. That God had provided a way for them to give and to help the needs of the people and to further the Levitical government. You see that in the New Testament as well, right? We're required, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Pay your taxes, right? Even if you don't agree with the government that God has given you, given over you and put you under, you still pay your taxes. The Jews didn't agree with everything the Romans did. God says... Pay them. Give to Caesar what is due. Pay your taxes. You see that in Romans as well. But we also have free will offerings in the church, right? You see that throughout Acts. They were selling whatever they had to make sure that no one had a need. And they were rejoicing in doing it. And then you see in 2 Corinthians that we are giving as a cheerful giver, not grudgingly or under compulsion. And the thing is, if you look at this giving as an act of grace this free will offering, and you begin to see all the different aspects of that, you can also cheerfully pay your taxes. That's a great testimony. Because God has ordained this for me to do. God has told me to do that. And he has provided the means by which I can obey him and bring him glory. You can walk out of the tax office smiling and people think you're crazy. Why are you doing that? Because this is what God has asked me to do. And it's wonderful. And he provided it because he owns it all anyway. And he put this government over me. So the Old Testament New Testament offerings were also given freely to meet the needs and to further God's work. You see that throughout the New Testament. So today we're going to begin to look at evidences of giving as an act of grace. And these are found in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, as Paul begins to talk about this specific offering, and we'll look at that in the background, to the churches in Judea, and then also in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 as he comes back and reminds them. So by way of background, we're going to look at what was happening then. It's an easy way to remember it instead of just here's background information. What was happening then? One of the major ministries in Paul's missionary third missionary journey was the taking up of a special relief offering for the Jews and the Christian believing Jews in Jerusalem. Now we know in Acts that they had gathered together, they had been saved, and they were giving each each other's property selling and making sure that no one had a need, right? And they were helping everyone. But as persecution came in and the dispersion came and all the people got sent out in the diaspora, 
then the people who were left in Jerusalem continued to be persecuted and lost their jobs and lost their income and all kinds of things like that. And so they were in need now. And so Paul tells this to the other churches who are out there, like the church at Corinth and the churches in Macedonia and in Galatia, as we'll see, that they need help. And so they agree, we want to help. We want to give. So they wanted to give willingly to help those who had helped them. And so we find in chapter 16 and verses 1 through 8 of 1 Corinthians, we'll get there in a minute, that Paul tells them to get the collection ready. We're going to come and get this later and we'll take care of that. So first thing we want to look at and what was happening then is persecuted Christians in Jerusalem were struggling to meet their needs. This is the background of what we're going to be looking at in 1 and 2 Corinthians. The Corinthians offered to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. We'll also see that the other Macedonian churches were following the Corinthians' example. They heard what they were doing and they were they're giving and they were like, oh, we want to do just like them as well. And Paul is coming to pick up the offering and send it to Jerusalem. Okay? He had, they had talked about it. They heard about the need. They were willing to give. They were being a good example. And Paul is coming to pick up that offering. Now, you may need to know that Paul went to Corinth, started that church. Things were going well. And then in 1 Corinthians, he talks about love and things like that and how they can be united and all the spiritual gifts and kind of had to fix some things there. But then he sent Titus over there and Titus found out that things weren't going so well. So Paul had to write kind of a, a letter of rebuke to them. Now, we don't have that letter, but we know that it was there because of what we see in 1 and 2 Corinthians. And it was a letter of rebuke, but we find out in 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that they had repented. They repented of their sins. They had seen Paul as right, they wanted to go forward, they wanted to be pleasing to him, and so he writes 2 Corinthians and says, hey, okay, now that you want to be pleasing to God, now that you want to do what is right, and we see that in you, go ahead and get that offering ready, and we're going to come pick it up. And instead of rebuking them this time, he is encouraging them, encouraging them on how they can complete this giving, this giving as an act of grace. And so Paul then encourages them to have the offering ready through reminders about giving as an act of grace. Okay? So he's going to remind them in several different aspects, and there are quite a few of them. We're going to look at them, and that's why it takes several weeks to get through this. Um, how this helps us now. So that's what's happening then, right? And so what's the application today, or what it, how does it help us now? Paul brings out some timeless evidences of giving as an act of grace for them to instruct our hearts in how to be cheerful givers. Okay? So Paul brings out some timeless evidences of giving as an act of grace for them and us to instruct our hearts on how to be cheerful givers. And so today we're going to begin to look at evidences of giving as an act of grace that Paul brings out for them and for us. As Warren Wearsby said, it's a wonderful thing when Christians enter into the grace of giving. He said, when we really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, when we truly believe in the promises of God's provision for all things, when we're so secure in our hope of the future that we're willing to give toward the present day needs of the church, it is a wonderful and joyful thing. 
But how can we tell when we're practicing giving as an act of grace? How can we work on being a, a cheerful giver that God would have us to be? Well, Paul helps us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. And one of the ways we see evidences of giving as an act of grace is when we give regularly. When we give regularly. And we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 4. That's the little context. And then we'll skip over to 2 Corinthians 8. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, Now concerning the collection for the saints, so they knew about this, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So the first thing we see here is on the first day of every week, he says, put aside and save. Or as the ESV says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, right? So they met together on the first day of the week, and what is that? Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. We know that, just like the churches in Acts did, just like we are doing today. So you're going to meet on the first day of the week, on Sunday, like we do today, following the pattern of the early church. And they brought their offerings. This one specifically for that special offering for the destitute Jerusalem believers. And so Paul is talking about that special collection but the principle we can glean from this and other passages that indicate this, that these early weekly worship services included regular offering is it is for us to give each Sunday as we come, right? We are to give regularly as we come, regularly. And the, the principle, if you want, from here is giving to the church should be regular, consistent, and systematic, not irregular, subjective, or whenever we may happen to remember. Have you ever been in any of those situations? Subjective, well, I don't, you know, well, this or that or whatever, or irregular, it's like, yeah, when I remember to give it, and when I don't remember, I don't give it, and, you know, I'm not really planning it, it's not really systematic, it's like, oh, well, you know, I just need to give sometime, or when I think about it, or when I'm convicted, or when they preach about it, or they pass the plate and hope I remember next week. So, But the principle is giving to the church should be regular, consistent, and systematic. Not irregular, subjective, or whenever I remember to do it. There are a few points for clarification. Since those are already coming up in your mind. What about this? What about that? What should we do about this situation? Does that mean every Sunday? Well, let's think about that, right? It does not mean that we must give an offering every Sunday, right? Does, is it commanded that we give every Sunday? Well, no, but when you meet together on the first day, Sunday of the week, this is when you should bring an offering regularly, okay? Regularly. Does it mean that you have to be in church every Sunday because Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of believers? No, but if you miss church... You should miss church, right? You should want to be here. 
If you, you may not give every Sunday, but you should make it a regular practice of giving. Now, there are some special circumstances that some people think about. It's like, what if you don't get paid every week? And you get paid every two weeks. Do you give every two weeks? Okay. What a cheerful giver. What if you get paid every month? When I was in Montana, the ranchers got paid once a year. You know, when they sold their cows. But they would distribute it out throughout the year and things like that. And so... It's not a a, a hard and fast rule. We want those rules, though, don't we? Just tell me what I need to do. Do whatever you've purposed in your heart. But here's an example we can look at that, oh, here's something we can do. We can do it every Sunday. We pass the plate. We take an offering. And I can give regularly, right? As the Lord prospers me. So you can give every Sunday, regardless of when you get paid. Some people get paid once a month and they d- divide it all out systematically so that they can give every Sunday as part of the worship. That's fine too. Does that mean you can't give through a, you know, an automatic transfer through your bank and things like that like some churches have today? It doesn't mean that. But the regular giving to the church is normally on Sunday as the church is done. Does that make sense? Any questions about that? Okay. It does not mean that we shouldn't have a separate fund at home to meet the needs of others directly or privately as they arise. Okay? Now, Paul does say there in verse 2, put aside and save or store it up. And the word save or store it up is from the Greek thesaurus, right? That's where we get our transliteration from that. And a thesaurus is a place where we store up synonyms and anonyms and things about the English language that help us, right? But the root is, is a place for a treasury or a, a collection, right? We're storing up something there. So Paul is instructing the church that as the Lord prospers them, they are to put aside in a safe place or in a treasury this collection for the saints, Now, the question is, does this mean that each believer on the first day of the week when he gets paid is to put aside money for giving and then bring it to the church whenever a need arises? Or does it mean that each believer is to bring their set-aside offering to the church treasury on Sunday when they come? Well, in the context of this sentence, Paul's reason for putting money in a treasury points to the treasury being at the church meeting place and not in the individual's home. His result clause there, right, in verse chapter 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come, right? So it's going to be there. And so to summarize what Paul is instructing them, on the first day of the week, on Sunday, when you come to the church, each one of you is to bring your offering that you had set aside from your earnings and put it in the church treasury so that it will be there when I come and I won't have to send people around to your house to come pick it up. Because people already think that I'm after money, some of them. As they said in some of the other letters about Paul. And so the same instruction is true for us today, right? On Sunday, when you come to the church, each one of us is to bring our offering that we set aside from our income, put it in the church treasury so that it will be there when the need arises and no one will have to come around to your house and pick it up, right? Well, we would never do that. Come around to your house and say, where's your offering? Now, I know that there are some religions that 
they call themselves Christian, and the elders come around to the house and like, hey, where's your tithe? We didn't see that in the plate this week, or something like that. But that's not what we do, and that's not what God would have us to do. You give as you have purposed in your heart, but the general principle is we give regularly to the church, and we bring that on the first day of the week, right, to the storehouse here. Again, it does not mean you can't have a separate fund at home to meet the needs of others directly or privately as they arise, right? And we have things like that that come up in Scripture as well. Proverbs 3.27. You can look at that. It's nice to hear pages turn. What a wonderful church. Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. As one man said, when it comes to giving, there is no tomorrow. If you can meet the need, meet the need. It's fine. So there are other principles that God has given us in Scripture that say, well, you know, as you give to the church, but you also can have something set aside to give to others. Matthew 25, 31 is helpful as well. Matthew 25 and 31 said, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, and He will sit in His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one, one from the other, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick and were in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. That's a good reason to have something available. Because when the need arises, you're doing it to the least of these. You're doing as if unto the Lord, right? So that's a good reason to have something set aside. Not only as we're thinking about giving to the church and things like that, but we should make it a practice of not spending everything so that we can have something to meet needs as they come about. Okay? All right, Luke chapter 10, verse 30 and 37. Anybody know what that is? The only gospel that has it. The Good Samaritan. What happened there? He had compassion on him. We know the story. The question there, right, is, who is my neighbor? And the answer to that question is, are you being a good neighbor, right, in the midst of the Good Samaritan? And so what kind of neighbor should we be? We should be someone who is willing to help. Well, what did he do? He helped the man, and he also paid for his hotel, and he paid extra just in case there was anything else that might be needed for that guy. When he came back, he was willing to pay the rest of it as well. And so there are places where... There are needs that come along in life that we can meet those and be a good neighbor as God has called us to be, right? In Romans chapter 12, verse 20 is another helpful one. And we go through some of these just to show you that there's, there's not this hard and fast rule about this or about that. 
It's about our heart because there's so many different passages and, and things about giving and about helping and meeting needs. It says, but your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. You need to have something to give to them, right? Sometimes it's you, you need to go buy them a meal. Sometimes you just give from what you have. If you, hear, you see of a need, we need to be able to meet that as well. So the point in all of that is it does not mean that we shouldn't have a separate fund at home to meet needs of others directly or privately as they arise. And it does not mean that we should give only to the church, as some people have said. Okay? So, you see all these different principles in Scripture. And the neat thing about our church in particular, when you're in a small group, a lot of times the needs, benevolence, or whatever is happening there are met within the group without ever going through the church official or the church office. And we get to do that. We get to do that. And it's wonderful. So we set aside and give as an act of grace in all of these aspects, right? It does mean that we should give regularly, consistently, and systematically to the church to meet the known needs, right? So it doesn't mean that you, only, you, know, you must give every Sunday. It doesn't mean that you can't have a separate fund. It doesn't mean you give only to the church. But it does mean that you need to give regularly and systematically to meet the church's needs, Okay, Because the church has needs. We know that, right? All right, well, let's look at some of these. Because some of these, as I've gone through in the past, have been very helpful just to kind of help us to think practically about what our giving goes to. Some people are like, oh, I just give. And, you know, they, yeah, they give to missionaries and, you know, help people that come by the church and need something. There is a lot of things that go into this, especially in our churches today. Needs of the church ha, needs the church has on a regular basis. Okay, we're going to look at these. Building costs, right? That's in your outline. Utilities, repair and maintenance. Chairs, you're welcome. Office supplies, <laughs> cleaning supplies, toilet paper, you're welcome. Paper plates and cups, coffee, you're welcome. Creamer, right? So these are just things. These things are bought. People don't just bring them up here every Sunday and, and stock them up. These are things that part of our offering goes to, and that's great. If you're concerned about whether we should have buildings or whatever, well, we can talk about that later, but God in his providence knew that we would do that, and we know God's will because now we look back and like, here we are, right? So we're here now, and we're meeting together, and it's a wonderful thing, and we're very thankful for that. I don't know where they put the 3,000 and 5,000 in Jerusalem in Acts, but they put them somewhere, and it wasn't in somebody's house. One house, all right? We also have insurance and today we have to do background checks and child protective trainings. That's, those are expenses that the church has incurred. There are a lot of other things as well. We have benevolence as well. We do have benevolence fund that when people come off the street or from our church or whatever, that aren't a part of a group or whatever, that, that we want to help them as well. And we'll make sure that they, we meet their spiritual need first before we meet their financial need and make sure that they understand that and maybe take them through a budget and things like that. But anyway, so we have benevolence as well in the church. That's where your offerings are going to, okay? Then we have things that are definitely biblical, pastor salaries, right? Pastor salaries. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, we don't have to go there, but it talks about Paul says, you know, I, I could have taken and deserved to be paid for sharing the gospel with you, Right? You see that in Galatians 6, 6 as well. 1 Timothy 15, or 5, 17 through 18. Here it's the, the pastors who work hard and are diligent to teach and to preach to you and to minister God's word to you, they're worthy, worthy of double honor. 
And that double honor is money. Because you go back to we're taking care of the widows, and the widows who are honored are taken care of financially and supported. It's the same word, right? And so the pastors are worthy to be taken care of. Now, our church has several of those. And you think about what's the average income even in our community. I don't know what they make, and I don't care what they make. I hope they're compensated very well, as you do. But you take the average cost of living of someone to live in Fort Worth. Average. And then you multiply that by the number of pastors we have. That's an expense that we incur. That's what your offering goes to. Okay? And so that is where some of the things go to. And just on a, on a personal note, having been a pastor in the past, one of my children once said, they really liked missions and stuff, they said, what do you think it would be like to just trust God to, to give so that you could, you know, for your salary or for your income and just trust God and trust God's people to give for your salary and income all of your life? I'm like, that's, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. You know, we lived in Montana in a little town that was just farming and ranching. And I can tell you, I prayed for the wheat and, and cattle prices more than they did. Because <laughs> whatever they make depended on what I got, right? And when I was an associate pastor down in Georgetown, when the giving started to slow down a little bit, I was like, well, maybe I need to start looking for something else to do. I might need to be a tent maker here, right? Because, you know, I know God is always going to provide for me, but I'm also good at math. So... You know, we don't want our pastors to be thinking about that. We want them to be thinking about prayer and ministering the word to us. Not if they're going to get gas in the car or buy the groceries. So, when you think about giving regularly, these are regular expenses that the church has. And you're giving to that. And that's what your offering is for. And so we, while we don't require a set amount to give, when church members set at an amount to give, it sure makes the budgeting and the giving of the church and the administration of those things so much easier. And so your giving should be systematic and regular and whatever you've purposed in your heart. So when we give regularly, it is giving as an act of grace to meet all of those needs, especially your pastors. So give to the, giving to the church should be regular, it should be consistent and systematic, not irregular and subjective or whenever we happen to remember it, okay? Keep it in the forefront of your mind. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm not trying to, you know, compel you or to do anything. I want to inform you about what's going on in the church, just like God has said, and how that lives in our lives today. Because once you do that, it's like, oh, this is wonderful. And you see the needs are met, and you see the things are taken care of, and you hear the testimonies of how we're able to help people, and they came to Christ. That's part of your giving. It's a wonderful blessing. And then you want to give more, because that's great, and God gives us that joy. And so we find that giving is an act of grace when we give regularly. And we also find there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 
to you that giving is an act of grace when we give individually. When we give individually. He says there, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll go back there real quick. On the first day of the week, concerning the collection of the saints, on the first day of the week, verse 2, each one of you is to put aside and save or store as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. Each one of you. And so the principle here is that each individual believer should give from whatever they have and not rely on others to do all the giving. Oh, that hit home. Okay. Have we been there? Sometimes we think that. It's like, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm not you know, making the ends meet or this or that. And this guy's rich and you know, I know he gives a lot. We're good. But what does that verse say to you? Each one is to give as God prospers. And you know what? We all have some level of wealth that God has given to us. And we'll find that the Macedonians were giving out of their poverty. Okay? And we're going to look at those different aspects and those things going forward. But just understand that God would have us to give individually. As one man said, Paul's directive to the Corinthian church Each one of you is universal in eliminating any excuse and not exempting any believer from the regular ministry of giving. God has made all his children steward over a certain amount of wealth, even if it is small. He calls all to give from whatever they have. We should not rely on others to do all the giving. And another thing about this in giving individually, you may want to help your kids to practice like we did as a part of worship. You come on the first day of the week in corporate worship and giving is part of your worship. And it's wonderful. Just like we teach our kids to sing, we teach them to listen, we teach them to sit still, we teach them to go over the sermon effort, we teach them to give as part of their worship. And so we would just give them a quarter or something like that, whether they earned it or not, just to have something to give to put in the plate to practice worship with everyone else. And so you might do that as well. They individually give. And then when they got older, we taught them financial budgeting and things like that and how much to give and how much to save and things like that. And so then they would give of their own accord. And they would give every week as the Lord prospered them as well. And so that may be something you can think about because it is an act of worship. And don't miss out on that part of the worship. That you get the opportunity to give. If you're not comfortable with passing the plate or you want to pass the bag or whatever or put it in the back... You know, because God doesn't want to see your giving and you, know, and you don't sound the trumpet and things like that. We understand those things. But when you give as a cheerful giver and you know everyone around you is, has the same heart, it, it's not really an issue, is it? It's great. And it doesn't matter how much you give. It's about your heart. So Paul's instruction in the church that as the Lord prospers them, they are to put aside in a safe place or in a treasury this collection for the saints in the church, bring it to the church, and then each one of you can give as God prospers you. If you didn't prosper you this week, okay, maybe you don't give. But again, it's not a hard and fast rule. So a couple of points for clarification. Does not mean that we can't give one offering per family or couple, okay? If in most families, you know, the husband is the one who brings in the income and he writes a check for the whole family, okay. It's not about... You know, you have to split it up so she has something to put in the plate as well, right? 
Again, we want these rules. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that each family is to give. Each individual is to give. It does mean that any Christian who has been given any amount of wealth from the Lord should give an offering from it. How much? It doesn't say. You won't find anywhere in the New Testament where Christians are called to give a tithe. And you find it all over the Old Testament. Now, if it was for the New Testament and you have to give 10%, then you would have something like Malachi 3.10 and Revelation 3.10 or something, right? Don't rob the Lord, right? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is a command. You're robbing. But it doesn't say that in the New Testament. It's pay your taxes, right? Because this is what God has ordained for you. But in the New Testament, it's free will giving and paying our taxes separately. So we give whatever you have purposed in your heart. And our memory verse is helpful also for this giving individually because it says each one must do. Here's what you must do. Just what you purposed in your heart. Not grudging or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And so we're beginning to see that giving is an act of grace when we give regularly and when we give individually in 1 Corinthians 16. And you also see in 1 Corinthians 16, 3 and 4 that there are some helpful insights into how to handle that offering with integrity. And we'll just read it, but we're not going to go into it now because we'll see this again in, in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. He says, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go, I will go with them. Right? It's not about, he's coming to get the money and take it. and don't Whoever you want. If you don't trust me, I want you to be comfortable with how it is handled. And we'll look at that again later on in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So all of our giving as an act of grace is based on, again, and motivated from and enabled by the grace of God shown to us in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Who, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich and be able to please him in all things. And so if you struggle with giving, giving some of God's money back to him for the things that he needs to do, then perhaps you must first need to give yourself to the Lord and repent and believe. And he'll give you a heart that wants to please him. And you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you will love others as much as you love yourself. And you will want to give. And it will be a joy. If you have given yourself to Christ, giving back to God from the money he has entrusted to you will become easier and easier and more and more cheerful the more you understand exactly what he has said in his word. Because he wants our hearts to be at ease so we can do it cheerfully. Any questions? Well, if you have questions, we'll go over those when we're done. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, how good you are to us. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And all your creation gives you praise. 
as we let these truths soak into our hearts, Lord. May they result in us giving cheerfully and giving you praise and thanks for teaching us what is pleasing to you, for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.